morning. This morning's reading comes from 2 Chronicles 20, verses 18 to 21. You can find that in the Pewback Bibles on page 372. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Julian. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And as we continue in Advent this morning, we get to talk about faith. And faith is interesting in the words that we use for Advent because we, after, we actually use this word all the time, not even connected to the biblical meaning. Like the secular world uses faith. And we talk about faith in, in so many ways. One of the ways we talk about it is, I, I feel like what's the most common usage of it, if you can think of it? People are always like, you have faith that you sit on the pew that you're sitting in or the chair that you're sitting in. Like that's faith that you've placed in this thing. Like you have faith in these sturdy pews to hold you up, right? We hear examples like that of faith a lot of you have lost faith in the Chiefs' offense right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think it's rightfully so, but I, I believe, I, I may be just a naive optimistic, but I believe uh, that they can pull, pull through and do amazing things still to this day. But we have said that we have lost faith in the offense. We've lost faith in the receivers. We've lost faith in Mahomes' decision-making. We use that word all the time. But the Bible talks about a different kind of faith. And I want to, before we get into the Second Chronicles story, which by the way, I'm so excited about. It's so fun to talk about marching to war at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> but I, I do love the, the, the narrative of Chronicles. But before we do that, I do wanna do a little bit of systematic theology and work through what is biblical faith. And how is it different than me just saying, you have faith in the pew, you have faith in the chiefs, you have faith in your friends, whatever. It is different. So we're gonna talk about what faith is. We're gonna talk about where our faith comes from and actually what is it doing? What is faith doing in us? What is the purpose of faith and why does it exist? And then we're gonna get into Second Chronicles. And I hope to give you a very practical way to walk in that faith in your day-to-day -day lives. So what is faith? First off, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
If you've been around this church a while, you've heard us use the definition of faith, saying that we have a settled confidence in God's gospel that causes us to move, to act, to do something. A settled confidence in God's gospel that causes us to go and do something. I love what Martin Luther says about faith. He said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and so certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. A thousand times. We have a settled confidence every morning that the sun will rise and it causes us, some of us, different sermon, to get out of bed and go to work and to act, right? It causes us to move. We have a settled confidence. We know that the sun will rise. The reason that you've lost faith in the chiefs is you don't have a settled confidence based on their performance that they actually can do what they're going to do. But a settled confidence on God that causes us to act is what we say and see as the Hebrews 11:1 definition of faith, the assurance of things hoped for. We know the things that we hope for are sure things and the conviction of things that we have not yet seen. Advent is all about this hoping and knowing deep in our soul and in our bones that these things will come true. They will come true. It's a conviction that we can't just muster up, but it's like made in us. It's, it's woven into the fabric of our being. And we know where faith comes from. We know where faith comes from. Biblical faith, Ephesians 2, eight through nine says, for grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Quick breakdown of that verse. For grace you have been saved through faith. So out of God's unmerited favor against you, he gracefully bestows faith to you. It is not your own doing, it says. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, why? So that you can't brag about it, so that no one may boast. Faith comes from God. The biblical faith that you have, the reason that you believe in God, the reason that you can have a settled confidence and hope in our Savior is because God gave you that faith. God gave it to you as a gift. It draws you into the Advent season, right? This waiting faith draws you into the Advent season because God gave you the faith. The hope and the assured promises are from God you wouldn't believe God's promises if he had not first given you this faith as a gift. If you look at Romans 12, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than he ought to think. Paul's like, listen, Romans, which we're going to get into Romans here in a little bit next year, and you're going to find out how broken and wicked and sinful and idolatrous we truly are. First three chapters, you might be excited about Romans. First few chapters are rough, so get ready for that. But you're going to find out how broken we are. So don't, so th don't think so highly of yourselves, but think with sober judgment, Paul says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned. He has assigned, he has imparted faith to those who would believe. And how does he do it? How does he give you the faith? How does he give you the gift of faith so that you can believe? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Praise God for the preaching of the word. Praise God for the singing of his word. Praise God for the prayers, for the, for the alone time with your Bible. Praise God for that because apart from that, apart from hearing the word of Christ, you wouldn't be in here today. But thanks be to God that he uses the word of God 
through preaching, through evangelism, through singing, through prayer, through personal devotion, through just me and you sitting in a coffee shop, sharing our faith with one another. God uses those moments to save people. How? God ordains your salvation. This is, this is uh, uh, New Testament theology. This is Titus 3 theology. God ordains your salvation, and then the Holy Spirit washes your heart with faith because, and it's made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God ordains your salvation. He gives you your free faith, a gift, right? The gift that you don't deserve. He gives it to you through washing your heart clean with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus' sacrifice, death, and resurrection on the cross. It's made possible. So our faith comes from God and God alone. And we know what faith does. Faith saves us. First Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful. Christ Jesus has judged, this is Paul saying to Timothy, he has judged me faithful, appointing, to, appointing me to his service, though I formerly, get ready, this is you too, was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I receive mercy because I acted ignorantly in my unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It, it, it saves you. The faith that God gives you and washes your heart with, it saves you so that you can inherit all of the riches of heaven, all of the eternal riches that he promised that you can be an heir with Jesus. All of that is yours because of the faith that God gives you out of his own grace and mercy. If you read through Hebrews 11, you'll see a bunch of people listed in Hebrews 11 who are saved, not because of the good works that they did, because we know the Old Testament is full of people who did crazy stuff. Noah was so great. Read the whole story. It's pretty gross. Okay, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in the Old Testament. These men and women were not saved because they were good people. Out of God's unmerited favor, he bestowed faith and grace to them because of their faith in the future Messiah. We don't have to wait for the future Messiah. We have him today. We see him and he is returning for us. It's for and by faith. And faith in Jesus causes us to act like Jesus. Because you, you might be saying, okay, but you're saying like not of works, but faith without works is dead, right? Absolutely. Faith without works is dead. And so as we talk about faith, I want you to examine your life and ask the real question like, okay, I'm not doing these works so that I am saved, but if I am living a life, and I'm not talking about seasons of disobedience, we've all had seasons of disobedience. Maybe you're in one now, maybe not, whatever that is. We all have seasons of disobedience, but I'm talking, look over the course of your life. Do you have fruit? Is there noticeable fruit? Are there works present? Because if there are works present, it means that your heart has truly been changed. You're not gonna love your neighbor. You're not gonna love enemies. You're not gonna do the things that the Bible tells you to do. They're so counter-cultural, counter-world message. Like you're not gonna do those things apart from faith in Jesus that God gives you when he has changed your heart to love him, to do those things. And the best news about this faith is that one day God promises to perfect it in you. Your faith is shaky at times, right? Like you forget about it. God's given you this gift and you just lose sight of it. But one day God promises to perfect this faith in you. Philippians 1 says, God who began, 
Who began? God began a good work in you. He will bring it to what? Completion, wholeness, shalom. He will bring it to completion. The promise of faith is the future promise of glorification. Romans 8, 29, 30, this is a this is what we talk about when we talk about how are you saved. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, which in the Greek means foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, which predestined in the Greek means predestined, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he called and those whom he called, he also justified. And that's where we're at right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God has washed your heart with faith and you are justified. And then the greatest promise and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We will be brought to completion, to wholeness, to glory. And this is a very basic, there are so many rabbit trails and paths and we can explore them all together as a church, but that is a basic theological understanding of faith. And the Bible commands us as believers in one way or another to walk in faith. Walk in faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us to walk by faith and not by sight or to walk, uh, uh, not just walk in faith, but also uh, to live by faith as well. And so what I want to do for the, the, the second part of this, I want to take a look at 2 Chronicles. I want us to examine what it means to walk by faith. Because I think you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, I know what that means as a Christian. But we don't. We often don't know what it is to walk by faith. We hear the command to walk by faith and not by sight. And we're like, okay, I think I know what that means. But the Bible actually has a prescription for us. And it's not just one story. There are many pieces of the Bible, many stories in the Bible, many scriptures in the Bible that we could pull and look at and say, this is what it means to walk by faith. Today, we're gonna look at 2 Chronicles to do that. And I want us to have a practical example and practical application of what it means to walk by faith so that you can walk out of here today and know how to do that with confidence have a settled confidence that causes you to do something, to do something. So let's pray and get into the text. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of your word would be sown among us now and that it would take a deep root that the burning heat of persecution would not cause it to wither, nor the cares of this world would cause it to choke out, but that as a seed is sown in good ground, it may bring forth a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. Okay, Second Chronicles 20. We're going to do a tiny bit of historical context so you know what the heck is going on here. Um, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. We have the kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms now. Jehoshaphat, which I will never be mature enough not to kind of smile at as a name. It's just a funny name. It's okay to laugh. Jehoshaphat is leading his people and he is coming up against a mighty enemy, a mighty enemy. They, they, if you're a Bible nerd, you will remember some of these enemies during the wilderness journey as the people of Israel are wandering around and they even ask God, they're like, God, here's some enemies. Should we take them out? And God's like, don't take him out. And Jehoshaphat mentions that. He, he mentions that in his prayer. He's like, hey, God, these are the people that we could have taken out. You told us not to. And the way that they repay us is by attacking us now. It's one of the Jehoshaphat's prayers. So we have this army welling up to take out the kingdom of Judah. 
And so Jehoshaphat, it says that he is afraid. If you look at chapter 20 earlier in the book, it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid. And then what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast in all of Judah. And they assembled to seek help from the Lord from all cities of Judah. And they came to seek the Lord. That's in verses three and four. And so he gathers his people up. He's terrified, right? And so he's like, I don't know what to do. I, I'm terrified of this army, these three armies that have joined together to take us out. Let's call for a fast. Let's call for prayer and devote devotion and profess our loyalty to God. And then he leads them in this prayer in verses five, uh, five, five through 12. And I want to read it to you. It says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of nations in your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. And now behold the men of Ammon, of Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not, here's the, here's the wilderness reference, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are where they're on you. And so he prays this prayer in the assembly. And then this prophet speaks up from the back and he's like, I've got a word from the Lord. And he says, listen, all of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid and dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, it is God's. And the prophet even goes on to say, like God has given him this message to say, you're gonna go down through the valley, through the ascent of Ziz, you're gonna go down, you're gonna find them in the east and you're not even gonna have to draw your swords to win this battle. That's the word from the Lord through the prophet that is uh, coming to Jehoshaphat in the assembly as they're fasting and they're praying. And then the next morning, Jehoshaphat leads his people marching true down into the valley. And he, he proclaims, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And then they march down the hill singing praises. An army of worship leaders singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. They meet their enemy on the battlefield and what do they find? Everyone's dead. Their enemy is already dead before them. Corpses everywhere. It's over. Not a sword was drawn. It's interesting if you look at scholars and commentators about this passage, because it does tell us what happens, but how it happens is up for debate. So it says that the armies turn on each other, essentially. God turns the armies on each other. But the word usage is fascinating because it uses the word ambushers. And the reason scholars are like, was it just that they turned on each other? Or, and this is what some believe, that an angelic host entered the battle, an angel army comes into the battle, starts attacking them, causes confusion, which then causes them to attack each other. And they go off that by the word uh, ambushers. If you know who's standing next to you, you can't be ambushed, right? Like we're sitting together, like 
not ambush, but someone else comes in, causes mass confusion. However it happened, the people of Judah show up and everyone's already dead. They continue praising, they continue singing. It says it takes them three days to pick through all the spoils of war. They go home singing and they praise God the whole way. He delivered them. And so this is an incredible story in the Old Testament. I love it. What's 2023? We don't have three armies stacked up against us when we leave Bethel, heaven forbid. That would be odd. But we are called to walk by faith, to live by faith. How do we take 2 Chronicles 20 and how does it model for us what it is to walk in the faith that God will do what he says he's gonna do? John Piper has this old uh, acronym. It's very silly and corny, but it's so helpful. And it's not his opinion. He wrote this taking stories like 2 Chronicles 20 and modeling that this is how God calls us as believers made possible through the faith that God has given us to walk in that faith. And the, and the uh, acronym is APTAT, A-P-T-A-T, admit, pray, trust, act, think. So A, this is your note taking, right? Act. Or I'm sorry, admit. A is admit. In order to walk by faith, in other words, we must first admit that we do not have the strength on our own to face the challenges that we face. We do not have that strength. If you look back at the prayer of uh, Jehoshaphat, he says that we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We admit that we are weak, that we are, uh, we are broken, that we are sinful. Like we admit all of that before the God. God, we know that we cannot do this on our own. So whatever it is, if it's a decision, if it's a temptation that you're facing, if it's like, how do I have a discussion? We admit, Lord, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough will, will, like whatever it is like you're facing, whether it be sin or conflict or big decisions, like those are things that we are facing every day as believers and you have the power to do it. But first you have to admit that you can't do it on your own. I can't do this, God. I need you. I couldn't, I was, I was practicing this this morning. God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the credibility. I don't have whatever it is to walk up here, open this Bible and preach, but you have the power, you've given the word. And so by the Spirit's, by the Spirit's power, I know that you're gonna do something this morning. Admitting that I don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. It's a humility. Jehoshaphat recognizes that the threat they're facing is so great and he calls upon the only source of deliverance at that time. John 15, Jesus is talking to uh, his disciples and he says, whoever abides in the vine being Jesus bears much fruit, but apart from Jesus, apart from him, we can do nothing. So in all of our struggles, our desires, and our temptations to be hateful, to be bitter, whatever it is that plagues you. Admit your weakness and be specific. Name it. Name your weakness. See it for what it is. I'm not strong, smart, witty, fast. I'm incapable of making it without dependence upon the Lord. So first we admit. P, we pray. We pray. 
We see the king gathering the three armies, right? And so we gather and we pray. That's what Jehoshaphat did. Psalm 50 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. So we admit our weakness and then we pray for specific deliverance. I think it's crucial to pray specifically. And I'm not like, this isn't, I'm not gonna like ver, uh, 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 chapter and verse you on this, but like when we pray specifically, I think we can see more glory going to God in that moment. Cause when he answers it in a big way, it causes me to go crazy. Pray specifically, ask him when I feel, God, I feel tempted for this thing. I know I'm too weak and I will fail. Deliver me, oh Lord. I have no idea, Lord, how to make this decision. Can you give me supernatural levels of discernment through the Holy Spirit's power so that I can make a wise decision? Pray specifically. And then when you cry out to God in moments of weakness and you're praying and you're admitting your weakness and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, and you're praying the next part is crucial. So we admit, we pray, and then we trust. We trust. We believe that God says he is who he is and that he will fulfill his promises. Jehoshaphat woke up the next morning fearful of his enemy, but he was more fearful of God and he had more confidence in God that God would deliver him. And so he got up and he proclaimed to the people, believe in God and we will be delivered. Believe in the prophets and we will succeed. We can go and we can do this. I believe in God. I can move forward. I can believe. I trust that God is going to deliver us. He said, we're not gonna have to draw a sword. I don't know what that means. I'm terrified. I'm gonna march down to the valley. I trust that God will deliver us. I trust that God will deliver us. And we know that this faith and this trust in God in this moment was true. Why? Because they admitted they were weak, they prayed, they trusted God, and then they acted. They acted. It's one thing to say that, yeah, I think God can win this battle without any swords being drawn, but we don't have to march down there. <laughs> we don't have to go, we don't have to see. But faith without works is dead, right? And so we act a settled confidence in God's gospel that causes us to do something. We can't divorce the definition there and say, it's just a settled confidence in God's gospel. No, true biblical faith is a settled confidence in God's gospel that causes us to do something, to act. It would have been one thing for them just to believe, but then they marched down to war. In other words, if you want to walk in faith and live by faith and do what the Bible commands. Yes, you admit your humility, your, your, in, your, in humility, you admit your weakness. Yes, you pray for deliverance. And yes, you trust in God. And in that trust, you don't be passive. You get up and you act. You go, you be confident. We often wanna be passive in our, in our walking, in our faith, which is ironic because walking by faith insinuates walking. We have to walk, go do stuff, believe in God who he is who he says he is and that he will fulfill his promises. Go tell your neighbors about Jesus because God told you to do that. Find ways to glorify God in your life. Go be a peaceful presence in your family, right? Because God tells you to do that. Go drink from the wells of joy because he's the one that provides them and says, drink from them. Go have hope that Jesus will return for his bride because he came once, defeated sin and death, and he promises to come and again. These are promises that he said. And if you believe, go act like you believe. Go serve, go love, go care for someone besides yourself because Jesus says to. I love what J.R.R. Tolkien says about this. Lord of the Rings guy. 
He says, living by faith includes the call to something greater than cowardly self-preservation. Go, lay down your life, sacrifice yourself, pick up your cross, like whatever that looks like for you. If that's like, I'm gonna count it and I wanna be an influence in my office where people can see me valuing stewardship and generosity and not like hoarding money and whatever, like go teach people about the generosity of God in their circles of influence and walk by faith, go do that thing. Whatever your job is, like find a way and walk by faith, act, go move. Don't just sit on a pillow and be like, okay, God, I believe you're gonna do something. Like get out and go do it. I, I remember in college, I was so struck by this. There was a, uh, a missionary that came and spoke to us one day and he's like, I think a lot of you are probably called to uh, go be missionaries or pastors or evangelists or whatever. And many of you were like, I don't know where God's specifically calling me to go. And he said, where do you wanna go? God's given you desires. Where do you, if you're walking in devotion with the Lord, if you're trusting in the Lord, if you're faithful and you're, and you're in prayer, like where, God's gonna start to shape your heart and make you be more like him. Where do you desire to go? go. Don't be passive. Don't just sit back and say, I'm waiting for like a sign or something like go do it. And God's going to open windows and doors and he's going to close some if that's not where he wants you to go. The point is go act, have a settled confidence in God that causes you to get up and go serve, live, walk. So we admit, we pray, we trust, we act. And then when God shows up big, we thank we think. And I'm saying thank as in thankfulness, because when I was talking to Kayla about it this week, she was like, why are we thinking? And I was like, no, think. And I get it. I have a Southeast Missouri like twang sometimes. Not thank as in I'm thinking. It's thank him as in be thankful to him. Chronicles says it took three days to gather the spoils of war. And the whole time they gathered they praised God the whole way home. They praised God. And when they were safely back in Jerusalem, they played music, praising God. Thank him when he shows up. Ask for specific big things, knowing that you're too weak on your own. Trust that he will answer your prayer. Maybe not in the way that you think he will. Maybe not in the time you think he will. It could be totally different and better. But trust him and then act. Go. Do, walk, live. And then when he shows up, which he will show up in some way, he will answer, thank him. I, I've talked about this before in our home. <laughs> we do uh, praise dances sometimes as a family and the kids are getting older and they're like, oh, this is kind of, and I'm like, no, like, listen, this is a way that we can just be undignified, right? And we try to do it not just over like big things, right? It's little things like, oh, we got health insurance this year. <laughs> Let's praise dance, you know? And so we do, we get up, we put on music and we dance around the living room like silly little children. And I tell you what, like, if you're not feeling thankful, I, I encourage you just to try it. Just be thankful about the little things. I, it's not, I, I'm not like, I, I hate to say this. Like, I don't wanna miss the fact that in the last like 10 sermons, thankfulness has been a theme. It's come up several times in the text. It's come up several times in the theme. We are called to be a thankful people. And I just for a moment want to imagine what it would look like if the people of King's Cross, if we could just like pause, we could admit our weakness, we could be a praying people 
We could be a people that are trusting of God, that a people that are willing to act and go and serve and love and do, and then a people who over all things, big or small, cry out in thankfulness. I think the places where we live will be changed forever. That's what it is to walk in faith. So walk by faith today. Admit your shortcomings and your inability. Pray that God would show up with his strong hand. Trust that he will show up even when it's not how you would imagine. Act upon the knowledge that God is with you and moving. And when he brings you joy, hope, and peace, thank him for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Faith is such a unique word when we talk about the Christmas Advent words because apart from the God-given gift of faith, you're not going to have peace. You're not gonna have true joy and there's no hope. But God gives us faith and when he gives you faith, you get access to the gamut. You get all the joy, all the wells are yours to drink from. All the peace and shalom of God is yours and you have a greater hope than anything in this world you could ever imagine. And I just wanna, for us, as we picture that and we, we go out today encouraged and walk in faith, I want us together to be reminded of Jehoshaphat in the army of, of Israel walking down the ascent of Ziz. Let's go look it up. It's kind of a weird geographical thing. The ascent of Ziz, singing worship songs together. I want us to have that picture in our mind as we go today. And maybe there could be hundreds of songs that we sing, but maybe it could be this one. This is a song by Matt Papa, and I, I want to read you the lyrics and then we'll close. But he says, when this life of trials tests my faith, I set my hope on Jesus. When the questions come and the doubts remain, I set my hope on Jesus. For the deepest wounds that time won't heal, there's a joy that runs deeper still. There's a truth that's more than all I feel. I set my hope on Jesus. I set my hope on Jesus, my rock, my only trust, who set his heart upon me first. I set my hope on Jesus. Though I falter in this war with sin, I set my hope on Jesus. When I fail and when I fail the fight and sink within, I set my hope on Jesus. Though the shame would drown me in its sea, and I dread the wave of justice, I will cast my life on Calvary. I set my hope on Jesus. Though the world calls me to leave my Lord, I set my hope on Jesus. Though it offers all its vain rewards, I set my hope on Jesus. Though this heart of mine is prone to stray, give me grace enough to finish. Till I worship on that final day, I set my hope on Jesus. I set my hope on Jesus, my rock, my only trust, who set his heart upon me first. I set my hope on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just want to begin by thanking you again for the salvation that you've given us, that you've awakened our hearts, that you've washed them with faith, that we can look at you and cry out to you when we were so far from you, when we rejected you, when we abandoned you, when we broke covenant with you. You could have let us go. You could have let us run and to destruction and hell. And yet you called us out into your marvelous light. And now as adopted sons and daughters, you call us children and heirs. 
and priests <laughs> along with the high priest Jesus. So thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. God, I pray for hearts in the room, for those that don't know you, Lord, that you would even do that now, that you would wash hearts with faith, that through the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they would be saved. And as believers, God, remind us of our humility, draw us into that, and be the strong arm that you are. Deliver us, O oh God, in times of trouble. Protect us, guide us, give us discernment, give us wisdom, give us all of the things we need, everything we need, Lord, that you would give. Let us walk by faith. God, your steadfast love endures forever. Amen.